This is the Mentors for Military podcast. Okay, I think quickly, Robert, we need to just talk about um, Patreon.com and how people can come along and support the podcast by being uh, a patron. So we've got our uh, our biggest donor at the minute is Kevin Holmes. So a big shout out to Kevin uh, for the great donation that he's given us. Um, and if you guys out there want to support the podcast and really help us grow, and we've got some huge plans that we want to get to, but as with anything in life, it needs money to do that. So if, if you really enjoy the podcast and what we're talking about uh, every week and you know, you're, you're a fan and, and a devout fan and you're listening every week without fail, come along and support us on patreon.com. You can go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash mentors, the number four M-I-L. And it's like Scott said, there's all kinds of levels and stuff that you can uh, help support us with. And not only that, but you get some free swag along with it. You might pick up a T-shirt. You might get a chance to be a guest on the show. Uh, but you'll certainly get a lot of love from us here on the podcast and a shout out. And of course, if you're someone like Kevin, you're going to get the love every uh, time we do a podcast because Kevin right now is our biggest donor. And like Scott said, we really appreciate the support. Uh, Kevin, that you're giving us, and uh, look for somebody to come along and try to knock him off. I think the interesting one for me, Robert, you just touched on it there, is the ability or the chance to come and be a guest on the podcast. You know, and if you're a huge fan of the podcast or a, a weekly listener, how would you like to come and sit with us and, and be part of the, the podcast? And, you know, we, we've got people like Tom, ex Delta Force operators. We got PJs, um, special forces guys, even occasionally come, a SEAL. Yeah, absolutely. You know, to, to come on the show and be uh, a guest with that is is really it's a unique thing. So you know, we've got a level to allow people to do that. So I want to I want to see the first person up. I want I want some fresh faces on the podcast. So come and come and be a patron of that level. Let's see who we get. So, hey, it's uh, Robert Cowan. Welcome to the Mentors Military Podcast, joined by Tom Satterley and Scott Johnson in this episode. And guys, I wanted to kind of bring a topic to the table on this episode around uh, some examples of leadership that I've seen lately who struggle with just making a decision. It seems to be um, bringing their organization down. They don't quite know how to get out of that type of situation, or they're not even aware that this may be a problem. So, you know, the way I look at it is when a leader can't seem to pick a course of action uh, or they can't, they constantly change their minds, they'll end up driving people absolutely crazy. And they end up driving me crazy for one thing, just observing it. But then their team starts to lose credibility. The people will become frustrated, not only in their own team, but the people around them, their peers and all of that. And without a clear direction, you're left with uncertainty. And then concerns start to arrive of whether you, if you're a part of that team and working for that boss, if you're even going to be taken seriously within your own organization. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've had the pleasure to work around a team of leaders to where being a leader was the easiest thing I had to do. You know, some people overlead, a lot of people underlead. And many people don't lead at all. They confuse it with management and leadership. Um, Power and strength, they confuse those things. I've found the best leaders find what 
what the teams are you know capable of doing and by, and by the way that's through training but they know the ability of their teams and they let them do that um they let them help make decisions versus trying to make all of those decisions um for everyone you know i'd rather have 100 people helping me out than me making a decision for 100 people because it's just smarter that way but having someone that's not a leader and and by that is what you said they lack of decision making and that's either due to lack of training or fear of making the wrong decision. And we're all going to make the wrong decision in our life. So the best leaders, I think, find the job that needs done. They find out what time they have to do to get that job done and how they're supposed to get it done and start backward planning from there and task organize and prioritize and hand out tasks to people. Um, others hold on to that and do everything themselves. And then here, here's what we're doing at the last minute. Or they just can't make that decision. And people sit there. I want to choke them to death. You know, you have all these great ideas. And we have a, a leader's reconnaissance course or a leader's recce course, the LRC, where they'll, they'll, put people, a group, they'll put a group of people together and they'll pull up one person from that group in an obstacle course and they'll say, you know, here's a piece of paper, you read it. Here's your rules. You know, nobody can talk for the first two minutes except you. Nobody can touch the ground. Here's the tools you have to do it with. And by the way, these are... Um, Events that can't be completed. Never. It's just impossible. It's just to test the person. And so you'll see these leaders directing people for a minute or two with no one talking. And you can see the frustration building in everybody because they all have their idea they want to get out. Everybody wants to help. Everybody wants to put in their ideas. But they can't for two minutes. So they're following this guy. And then when the two minutes are up, you sit back and watch everybody just detonate on this guy on how to do it their way versus coming together and making oh, a plan. Driving and nuts. it throws everything into a tailspin. And like I said, by the way, they only have, say, six minutes to get it done in, and they've already wasted two not yeah. talking and two more arguing, and now they've got two minutes to get it done, and it can never be completed. And so you can watch these guys tank the whole way, or the good ones sit back and kind of manage the group and get them to go and, 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 and find out who has the best idea in a short amount of time and then get it done. You just made me think about the traditional management style versus, say, the servant leader, too, though. I mean, you think about the traditional management style, it's very hierarchical. They like sitting at the top. They like the decisions to be controlled, and it's their decision. Yet, when you find someone that's like that and they can't seem to make a decision, that's when it really becomes frustrating because they want to be the person to make it, yet they don't know how to go about making it. Right, and I, I, I found that to be a lot of fear in people. Um Mm -hmm. the, the the lack of confidence in themselves right. and they're afraid to say something and be proven wrong, which I've been wrong many, 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 many times in my life. And, and people have corrected me. And guess what? I got over it. It stings. It hurts. It hurts your ego. And, you know, if you shake it off really fast and you keep going, you drive on and get the job done or you can sulk about it, you know, like the children when you, you, you scold your child uh, for doing something, you know, or consequences and they mo walk around moping. It's like, it's not the end of the world. You need to learn how to deal with failure now to become a leader anytime in the world. Because if you can't deal with failure, you can't deal with anything because you're going to fail multiple times over. Reminds me of the uh, Parkinson's podcast that we did several weeks ago. Didn't he hit just right on that, Scott? Because we were talking yeah. about how, you know, there was a there was a podcast we did, Tom, where um, Parkinson's brought up an example of a, a series of leaders that were within a room that had to make a couple decisions. And one of them was very complicated, required a lot of knowledge and experience and everything in order to make this decision. Everybody at the table was very fearful that they would make the wrong 
you know, choice or state something that would make them look stupid and the whole bit. So they immediately passed that one because, you know, that way they they didn't look like they were dumb or anything. The second discussion was about uh, actually should they build a bike shed for the employees so they could park their bikes. Well, of course, everybody rode a bike. They could bring their experience to the table, and they started talking about what not only should they build the bike shed, but what color it should be, how the roof should be structured, and everything else. And they spent so much time on that one that they couldn't get to the third item uh, third item on the agenda, and that was about the coffee fund, and they decided to table that to the next meeting. Does this sound like typical meetings you've been in, Tom? Sometimes. The ones where I want to kill people. <laughs> <laughs> When I'm, I'm the only one that walks out of the room and everybody else is dead inside, maybe. But I've been in meetings like that to where they don't prioritize. Yeah. They just go down a list. It's there's, like, what's the most important? There's you know, no agenda. Yeah. You, you have to have an agenda or you're going to bounce around um, and make zero decisions. And you have to figure out how much time you can spend on each item. And sometimes you have to do it on the fly. Sometimes it's not in a schedule. I, I've done work with companies um, recently, Red Bull, to where they – they were dying without a schedule and the guy running it was refusing to give them a schedule. He's showing them that you don't need a schedule. It is, it's based on performance and how well we're doing. And we may spend a lot longer on one topic or item that's more important than another. So why have a schedule? Because people tend to want to follow that schedule. It's that whole train to time versus train to standard thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that, that can work if everybody's proficient, enough in leadership and they can prioritize correctly and and as soon as you don't have someone that can prioritize the list you you fall apart because there isn't a list to follow then and it's it's a difficult one and i was smiling when he was talking about the uh, the command task element you know when you got six minutes uh, only the the person in charge are allowed to speak for the first two minutes and everybody's itching to get it out don't they but with tasks of a short time frame you know, Parkinson's gets proved to be correct, that you've got only got a short amount of time, it's going to be simplistic, the result, because time is your critical factor there, your priority number one. Whereas if you do the same command task and you give somebody a week to do it with a the team, then the complexity of it will just go through the roof because they've got all the time in the world, so that isn't a priority anymore. So what comes in then is how can we make this achievable in in reality, in the most complex way. And, and people over-engineer things, and it's it just turns into a complete clusterfuck because of the time element, because you've got so much of it. So it's, I think it's a critical role for a leader is establishing the right amount of time that the team needs to conduct the task without it being too simplistic or too complicated. You know, what I've seen too, though, is that a lot of times, don't you have, you know, situations where people come to the table and in a very hierarchical type of setting, everybody has their own agenda of what they want to get accomplished. And in many cases, they don't know how to sometimes be a team player and step back and have a conversation and communicate and collaborate with other people because it's not about the team. It's about them. And so it kind of goes into this whole thing of, you know, the leadership thing where, uh, you know, every one of them wants to be a really good leader. Everybody thinks that they're a really good leader. They're trying to make a decision, but they don't understand that then it's not the whole and, and where the, you know, the sum of all parts and everything, it's more of what I want. And in many cases that has to do a lot with, I want to create my kingdom bigger. 
or I want to accomplish uh, certain objectives and stuff, which may be I want to spend the company's money to go in a certain direction. Team dynamics is, a, is an interesting one, I guess. And if, if you talk about the conventional military, where it's very structured within your section, your troop, uh, I think you guys are, are pretty similar uh, names in the US. So there's the private, and then there's the lance corporal and the corporal and the sergeant, depending on where you're going to. And everybody knows their place. I'm guessing in the SF world, Tom, people in, are encouraged to be a little bit more thoughtful within a team and have a team dynamic um, where everybody's a contributor and everyone plays a specific role to their skill set. But when it comes to the planning part of it, everyone has an input that's appreciated. And then you come to the civilian world where everybody just wants to build a kingdom, like you said, from the lowest guy on the bottom who, who, who's got ambition and wants to get on and, and to prove himself and just wants to throw ideas out there to the, the managers for the areas, team leaders, whatever they may be, who want to make decisions or not and, and want to sit back. And it's almost sometimes it can become a free-for-all. And if you haven't got that person who's clearly identified as being the leader of the project or the task or whatever it may be, or who's strong enough to take control and tell people, right, let's let's have a, a an organized forum one at a time. You go first, what's your idea, and work through them, and then make a decision. I've heard everyone's input. This is what we're going to do, and that's the end of it. You know, Unless you've got someone strong enough to do that, then it can just become a free-for-all, and you just end up going around the room and spinning around and... Parkinson's then kicks in because everyone is trying to outdo each other in their idea, and before you know it, you you land you you're having a space core. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, no, yeah, exactly. I, we had, and it's necessary. It's necessary to have. Oh. I'm signing up. I'm signing up. To go back to Robert's point about leaders doing other things and not staying in their element. Um, I was on a mission one time in Iraq, and my boss has his job to do and I have my job to do his is outside and higher mine's outside and in and tar target centric and I'm controlling that movement and we're outside on a mission and we start taking fire the Brits um we hit the wrong house and by the way the Brits parked in front of the target building it wasn't it wasn't their fault it was uh the leader's fault for not passing intel for doing someone else's job he forgot to pass the intel that by the way the house has changed and um so the brits park in front of the target building and go hit the houses that they were assigned to we hit the ones we're assigned to and we come back we're like well there's really nothing here well they decide to do one more building in front of the ones they parked in front of as soon as two guys enter the gate one guy gets killed immediately the other one wounded um get those guys out of the way we can't destroy this house because we don't really want to destroy the pinkies that are parked in front of this this building now you know we're, we're, we're behind the pinkies shooting over them on top of another building and so all of a sudden we got these fire missions going on and um, my boss just comes over, woohoo, clapping his hands, fire mission, baby. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, fire missions. I go, we have a fire control officer for that. Why are you doing it? Okay, problem number one, he's not doing his job. He's doing someone else's because it's fun. That's right. It's, it, it's, it's the fun thing at the moment. So yep. we destroy the house for a little bit. There's like 12 or 15 terrorists inside lined up, ready to go with their track suits, their RPGs, you know, fresh out of Syria somewhere probably. And uh, we decided to go in and that's my job. 
I take my three teams and I go in and we finish the job. He's like, I'm going in the house. What? I go, your job's out here. I'm going in the house. Well, I'm going in the house. Well, you're the boss. I guess I'll stay out here and do your job. You go in and do my job. <laughs> so I have to stay outside the house and do his job. Um, so one didn't pass the intel, caused a whole mission failure. Two, he's doing someone else's job. Three, he's doing my job now. And then four, we got back. I, I went, you know, to the boss. And uh, it was like one of those things where I, I said, hey, it's either him or me. And, and my boss said, go get him. <laughs> and I went into the room because we were roommates, you know. I went in the room. I go, hey, b- boss wants you outside. He goes, you know what it's about? And I go, no, nah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> not really. I'll be packing your bag. <laughs> I laid down on my bed, put my headphones in, and watched him as he came in and packed his bags and flew out that night. Um, great officer. Great guy. Not in that unit, you know? It was yeah. just uh, not his world, not his realm, and he got out of it. And I'd heard some other things before, poor decision-making, to where over-decision-making, you know? And not asking other people's uh, input or letting them do their jobs that they're trained for. Cowboy. Which is cowboy in it. And yeah. uh, it works out in some instances. It doesn't work out, you know, in the unit where I worked. Everybody had a job, and you relied on them to do it. And uh, like Scott said about SF team or privates on up, as a private, you're not in charge because you're stupid. You know, you don't know anything. You're you're, you're fodder basically. You just yeah. you, you don't learn have as you grow. Right. Yeah, you don't, and you don't know how to lead people. You could come from a you could be a CEO of a company and join the military, and you'd be a private or maybe an officer if you've got college. But lieutenants and privates don't know anything. I literally don't really talk to an officer until he's a major. Or higher because they don't know anything. And it's the same way up to uh, sergeants and E5s. You know, they, they finally are in charge of a small group of people because they've learned how to be a follower first. They know what sucks. You know, they know how you can drive a leader crazy. And then they, hopefully they can manage and marginalize that. But you have to learn first. And then you have to take that input. And then what Scott said about sitting around the room and guys having ideas, you have to control it. You you. It becomes a competition on soon as it's like the dance floor. Nobody's on the dance floor at the prom until somebody gets on the dance floor. And then everybody starts flocking into the dance floor because nobody wants to be first. The first are always the leaders, the ones that the go getters, the, you know, the trailblazers. They get out there and they get it done and people follow them. They've done experiments over and over again where people won't do things until somebody does it. Oh, I'll live or it's OK or I won't get killed or yelled at or, oh, I guess I'll go out there. Though. Those those guys are kind of leaders you know they're going to be leaders fast followers yeah they're fast followers but they're not leaders you know the leaders are the first ones on the dance floor and um you have to shut it down when it becomes a hey well you well yeah but well yeah you and then and i saw this and up you have to have it if it's not written you just have to know when to shut it down and move on to the next one before you beat that dead horse you know it's you you, you get that curve where you stop learning and now it's just people arguing and talking and wanting to hear themselves and oh my idea is better at some point, you got to shut it down. And you got to be strong enough to do that. It doesn't mean you have to be a jerk about it, you know. Yeah. For years, I was a jerk about it. I'm like, shut up! You've said enough. You know, I could have done that differently. That's a whole other podcast. But <laughs> um, the end results are: you get the input in a timely manner. You figure it out. You make a decision. And you go. And and our unit was bottom up, bottom up planning. You can't do that in the army because that's where all the you know the uneducated people are. Our unit, everybody's a leader pretty much, and they've all been assessed through a selection process and evaluations, and they've all been leaders before. So it's bottom-up planning, and top-down doesn't work in our unit. 
the top down, they've been there less time. The leaders, the officers have been there less time than the NCOs who are in charge. So the traditional model that I was, that I was describing earlier is doesn't work within the, the special operations community like you're describing, Tom, because uh, those individuals uh, are the sole decision maker and all that kind of stuff. And in the, in the, in what you're describing, the people are just as knowledgeable and in some cases more knowledgeable and are trying to lead up. And so when people have asked me, don't you mean manage up? No, I'm talking about they're the ones helping create that vision and helping create the strategy. And in some cases, they are the ones making that and that's the best type of teams that you want around because then there is a lot more collaboration. There's not as much people who are trying to step over one another in a lot of cases. And there's not a single person up there that feels that they're the king, uh, the king of their kingdom or queen of their, their kingdom and sitting up there and trying to make the decisions. But I also there's a statement that I use a lot, um, even out in the private sector, that you learn in basic training. And it's when you go to the range the very first time and you hear a loudspeaker say, watch your lane. I mean, hey, anybody down on the left and on the right, <laughs> got to ride you off the range. I'm like, oh, man, I love this. There's a reason for that, though, because yeah. it's happened in the past. <laughs> right, right. That's why we have rules. Somebody's done that dumb thing that's written on that sign, like don't eat the toilet paper or something. Someone's done it before. <laughs> So what are some of the things that you can do? And when I look at it, uh, it's try to figure out what's behind the behavior of that type of leader who's having that problem. And we talked about this a little bit about maybe they may be they may be risk adverse. But what if the problem is also their boss? So they're trying to manage up and trying to get that individual to understand the best way to do it. Uh, or at the same problem, it could be that, you know, there's a cultural issue or something like that that's going on within the company that they're trying to deal with and the dynamics of, of, of what their boss is, is putting out and stuff. And it also could be, mind you, they could be waiting on you to step up. Are you going to take the reign and show me that you want to be the manager and leader? I could sit here and make all the decisions all the time, but what are you doing there? And are you wanting to be more of that type of role that I can help mentor you in the, in the future as well? What are you guys' thoughts on those? I think you, you've you got to control what you can control, you know, and it, it was interesting to hear Tom talking about the SF world managing bottom-up, and that can work in the civilian world. And, and Robert and I are both from the manufacturing world um, as well now. And logically, if you think about it, within a production line, who's the experts on that line? Oh, people the do guys, it every day. Absolutely. It's the guys who are running that line for eight hours every day, day in, day out. I come in as a manager. I'm not the expert on that. My job as a, a manager, as I see it in uh, the roles I've done within companies, is to manage people. Yeah. Okay, And the, the best part you've got of that is using the experience that you've got in front of you. So the guys who are running that machine for eight hours a day, five days a week, 52 weeks of the year – they are the ones you should be going to and saying, right, this is the problem we've got. What do you think about this specific piece of information? And the next person and the next person. And it's your job then to collate that information together, filter out the appropriate levels that may come from speaking to team members and team leaders and engineers and whatever it may be, and collating it all together and formulating a plan then and putting it together and then rolling that out and 
ensuring everybody follows it and motivating them to achieve the plan. Now, bad managers within civilian world are the ones who come in and think, I know everything. I've got an MBA or a degree in chemistry or whatever it may be. I learned I, this at West Point. I was going to say, I was just thinking West Point. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. This is what they taught me at West Point. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> you know, and, and the bad management part of that and the information they have may have and the training they may have, I'm sure will be relevant at some point somewhere in the world. But the bad managers are the ones who don't realize that. And they think that what they know already, and like Tom said, and the SF world knows that, and they've learned it the hard way, because probably somewhere along the line, people have died, you know, following through a plan that was thought up on the top and then cascaded down, and then they've learned and thought, actually, let's get the guys who were on the ground uh, do, doing, the, the, you know, the cool stuff as uh, as we like to call it. See what they think about it. And the civilian world is exactly the same way. But they don't, because nobody pays, nobody dies, hopefully, you know, and there are accidents and things. And a lot of the time, people won't lose huge amounts of money through it. They'll just get poor quality or the machine will break down more often. And they'll, there's, there's no urgency, really, you know, and unless the business is, is going under um, and going bankrupt and that inevitably, inevitably will happen before you can solve the problem anyway with bad management. But people can't learn because there's no real pressure on them to learn it the hard way. So it, it takes, I think, in the civilian world, it takes, it's difficult for managers to learn to be leaders because there isn't that learning the hard way there for them. And, and often if you're doing a poor job, if it's in a good company, they might move them on. But... How many people do you know of, Robert, in the civilian world who are bad managers and when they get moved, they move them sideways or they promote them out of the spot? Yeah. Well, yeah. it happens even in the military. I mean, oh, yeah. Group, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, in the military, you get stuck with a bad manager. You're typically looking for them to PCS, you know, um, get promoted. You know, or you're going to try to find a way to expose them so that they get moved out that much faster. There's, say there's kill them, so though. many stories behind that to where there's so many levels of of personalities that caused this. Um, what Scott was talking about, you've got leaders, you've got respect for people, and then you have narcissists as well. But you have self-respect. Now, some people have way too much self-respect, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, way too much. And they don't respect the guys on the line who build the parts. They think, oh, they're uneducated. They're down there putting this on that all day long. I know what I'm doing because I went to college. They have no idea what to do on the line because they've never been on the line. Yet they'll go down there and tell them what to do. Those guys are probably the most hated people on the planet. Yep. Production will drop, not because the people on the line don't know what they're doing, but they don't care about the boss. So they're not going to put out their effort. They're not going to put out 100% effort for someone you don't respect and like yep. or someone who thinks he's so great. Um Special ops, you've got guys who will throw themselves in front of other people to save other people. You've got leaders that let the bottom-up plan, and you trust them. And I, I would 99.9% .9 of the time when they would come, the team leaders come up with a plan and then brief it to me and the boss, thumbs up. Yeah. Why would I bother that? They're the ones going in the door first. I'm going in behind them. It's their plan. It's tactically sound. They've been trained. I'm not going to sit there and say, well, just because I want to hear myself talk, say something and change something. There's people that want to hear themselves talk and will just change something to sound smart. And those guys kill me. 
Well, um, those are the same people. Have you ever been to a briefing, Tom, where the subject matter expert, like we're talking about, is so well-versed, knows everything that's going on, actually has built this plan, yet the person that ends up speaking when the senior leader is present is the one who is leading those individuals and instead feels like this is their time to shine rather than stepping back and letting the people shine. And, and because they built it, you don't have to have your fingerprint on it. If nothing else... You can actually demonstrate that you are leading a fine, well-oiled machine of individuals there, a team. And that makes you that much better. But opening your mouth and trying to put your fingerprint all over what's going on actually makes you look stupid to your people and to the senior leader. Surround yourself with people who make you look smart. Yes. You know, I'm never the smartest guy in the room, ever. I can guarantee you that, unless I'm alone. So, I surround myself with smart people. I allow them to make those decisions and they make me look good. You know, I don't have to say I did that because the job got done and everyone's happy. It doesn't matter. I give credit to everybody else anyway. Even if I did it, I would give credit to someone else because the guys who did it know that I didn't really do it and I'm giving them credit. So in return, they're going to do more, you know, harder, better work for me in the future because they know I respect what they're doing. I give them credit for things that I might even have done myself or decisions I've made. I'm like, oh, no, not me, not me. And I mean it. It's no one person does anything really well. You know, you, you got it's always a group or a family or a team or something that gets things done. It's those that uh, force themselves into decision making when they shouldn't. Um, Cowboy. Those, yeah, those were the hardest leaders to work with and for. And, and when you can feel the lack of respect, you can literally feel it. And people start complaining and they you know, behind the backs at first, which is, is not good. But earlier what Scott was talking about, about making your boss look good. You know, I always tried to know at least one level up and two levels down. Yeah. You know, yeah. if I know what my boss is responsible for, I can help make him look good. And he sure appreciates, appreciates it. And I hope people below me do that as well. And then I can reach down and help people that need help because I know their jobs. Yeah, I can pull them up and help them help me do my job while I'm helping my boss do his job and maybe even higher. And that makes everybody look good. And that way, if the boss either gets killed or runs his car into a tree one day, at least I know his job. I can step in if I have to. And and nothing's lost in the process. Can't you do that, though, still, if you have a bad leader? I mean, you could still do the same thing, because if you're doing it as you're stating one level up, you could even go two levels up and at least start helping the person that influences your leader or has influence over them see that the team as a whole is functioning. So from a professional standpoint, you guys are doing well and... uh you know, they can see your abilities and you're not helping yourself bad, but you're also not helping your ba- uh, boss look bad. You're just trying to point out the opportunities and, and if nothing else, I don't know. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I've done it as well where uh, don't make it to where I can't do what you just described, Tom, because I don't have a good boss. Yes, you can. Keep doing that. Keep leading the people below you, but also keep trying to make that individual work well or at least start working with the person that influences them to help them become more educated and if you can't well like in the case you mentioned before uh with the cowboy officer they'll just move them out anyway yeah it's the worst the worst ones are the ones who just won't listen you try to help you try to help you make suggestions and they're like i got it i'm good and and you know what it's it's a lack of self-respect there probably because they don't want to act like they don't know everything they think they need to portray the fact uh, they need to have that presence of i know everything i'm supposed to know and nobody does nobody knows everything you forget things um 
or you just weren't exposed to it, so you, you don't really have the experience yet. Those are the best ones, the ones that know that they can listen and learn, but the ones that think they know it all or are afraid to admit they don't, because we know we already know you don't. So right. it's the obvious. fact that you're acting like you, you know everything and you won't take advice, those are the tough ones, but you should still try to help them up until the time that they're gone. You know, hire slow, fire fast. However, you have to work with people. You have to groom and, and counsel some people are afraid to. Some people are afraid to fire people. They just won't do it, and they'll, they'll live in misery. And production yeah. drops. Everyone's miserable. They won't get rid of somebody. And it's like it's lack of of confidence and lack of uh, intestinal fortitude to walk up to somebody and be open and honest about their shortcomings, admitting that you as well have shortcomings. You know, it's not an attack. Right. I'm not perfect, but we're talking about you right now. You know, this is you're lacking in this. You're lacking in that. We've tried this. We've tried that. What are your intentions? What are your plans? And how do you expect to get better? And in what timeline? Some people actually appreciate the fact that you were brutally honest with them because no one ever has before. And that's the individual that you're showing out the door, showing that they need to clean their act up, whichever the case may be. And then you've got the rest of the team that's observing this, that's looking at you as a leader and saying, it's about damn time. Thank God you did this. You know, I've never had anybody mad at me for telling them their shortcomings. They're like, I, I've always gotten, no one's ever told me that before. Yeah. They're hurt. They're hurt, but they respect it because, you know, like I said, no one's ever told me that before. And had I known, I would have had a chance to fix it. Right. Now, they might call me an asshole for the delivery, but I've never not been thanked for being honest with somebody, even though it hurt. Yeah. Well, that's all you it, can ask for, right? On, on both sides. You got to think- give a guy a chance to, to help to help himself if he doesn't understand it. You know, there's things I don't know about myself that I did all the time that my wife told me and pointed out or other people told me and pointed out. And I'm like, oh, I do do that. Wow. Okay. I'll work on that. You know? Right. Yeah. You, you got to know before you can work on it. I think it's a sign of a good manager or a good leader that if you, if you ever get to the point where you've got to sack somebody and they don't expect it, you failed as a manager other than an emotional aspect so they've either punched somebody or there's drugs or something involved if if it's purely work related if you get to the point where you're gonna sack yeah. absolutely if you if you get to the point where somebody doesn't know that they're getting sacked you failed as a manager to manage that person you know and as as a good leader you should be like tom is just saying you should be help being honest with them and supporting them and helping them in their shortcomings you know and you, you can you can train anybody to do anything in my opinion there's 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 not somebody out there who you can't train to do anything if you put the enough time and enough resource into it it might be unrealistic to put that time and resource into the person but if you if you had an unlimited amount of time and an unlimited amount of money uh, and resource you can train anybody to do anything so as a business or uh, as a unit in the military if you were getting to the point where you've got to let somebody go because they're not good enough at something, that's you as a leader who's failed that person, not the person that's failed the team. Because you haven't put the effort in and performance managed them to get to the right level at the same level as everybody else within the team, let's say. You know, and it, it should never be a shock to somebody. What if we did that right. going up? What if we actually removed the emotion out of the situation and from our performance or the lack of our leader's performance, we remove the emotion by looking at the data and the facts that are right there to try to educate them in a way that is very tactful, but uh, that they can understand that some of their shortcomings are actually causing the problems. It's 
it's such a difficult one to do going up because of ego. Yes. No matter yeah. what's going on, mm. the person above you is always thinking, you were below me, don't presume to tell me my job. And that's just human nature. You'd, it'd be very, very rare to find somebody who would openly accept criticism without asking for it from the level below. And the people who do do that are the ones who are running multi-billion dollar Isn't it right? companies. <laughs> Just look out there. Look at the leaders and, and look at their traits, and, and the ones that are doing well. You know, look at what they do. Oh, I failed often. I fail forward. People tell me what to do. I listen to them. I surround myself with smart people. I let them do their job. If they tell me I'm doing wrong, I don't freak out and argue back. I, I listen. You know, it's got to be done respectfully. Um, yeah. I'll tell you that. I, I've learned that one along the way. Um, but but there's a way to tell people certain things. And, and I'm, I'm a firm believer in counseling, whether it's verbal or written. You know, it can be ver it could be it'd be verbal. Hey, man, you did a crappy job last night. You know, you weren't really on time. You didn't do this or that. That's counseling. Yeah. You know, it's straightforward and honest. You don't need to berate the person and tell them how horrible it is. It's just here's what you failed at. Why? You know, ask them. It's interactive. You know, it's not a one way thing. It's like, here's what I need you to do. Correct. Here's what I needed it by. Right. You understood that. Right. So people either they either didn't know to do something they didn't know how to do something or they didn't want to do something. So if you can crack that nut, it's either your fault or theirs. If they didn't know to do it, it's your fault or someone's fault along the way. If they didn't know how, it's, it's still your fault, really, if you didn't teach them. If they didn't want to, it's time to have a talk, a, a deeper talk about that, you know? I think what we talked about during this episode is really a lot about not just how you can help leaders who you find to be frustrated by uh, who struggle with making a decision. But if you're one of those people within that role or you're listening to some of the things we just described and you're finding you're doing those same things, then that's how you need to know you need to modify your own behavior uh, to become a better leader yourself for your own people. And are you constantly looking introspectively and looking at what you're doing and how you can improve upon yourself? And then, of course, finding ways to get out of that toxic environment to help that leader grow so that they can either move on, move out, or uh, go lateral or whatever the case may be, but they get out of your space so that you can actually move on. But it's about dealing with them tactfully and building their trust maybe where you can have that kind of difficult conversation. So hopefully a lot of the stuff that we shared within the podcast will be helpful in both ways, whether you're the leader or you're working for a, a toxic leader. And, you know, and it starts with being a human. It starts with being a respectful human to other people. Um, you can't be a leader and not know anything personal about people. Um, now, if you're in charge of 600 people, you're not going to know them. But your leaders below you should know a certain amount of people below them. And those leaders should know a certain amount of people below them, and they should be able to convey the personal issues up to you because if someone's not performing, it could be an issue at home. So I used to say, you know, you got problems at home, keep them at home. But you, you can say that all day long. It's not happening. It, it, it travels with you everywhere you go. So if you show a, a, an actual level of respect for, for people in their personal lives and get to know them and what's going on in their lives, they'll work harder for you. And they'll 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 try to do better all the time for you, but you have to give them the time, the resources, and the money to do that. You know, it's like law enforcement; they they don't get any money to train, they don't get any time to train. They're always working, and then they go to shoot somebody, and they miss half the time. You know, and then there's a big investigation. The investigation always comes up with the same thing: lack of training, lack of funds to train. And then there's a big push on training. You know, oh, it's a big club shooting. Oh, big push for money to do that now. That's too late. 
you should do that before that happens. But nobody wants to spend that money. It's like uh, an insurance policy is cheaper than the training would cost over time to not let that incident happen. I don't know if it's financially balanced that way or it's a leadership issue, but you get to know your people and you give them the time and the money and the resources to do their jobs. Um, you put everything back in their court, you know, and it, now it's their responsibility. They can't really uh, shirk that responsibility and throw blame at everyone else for not being able to do their job, which is what people will do immediately when you start to tell them they're not doing something properly or you go to fire them. It's always someone, well, not always, but it's typically someone else's fault. Mm -hmm. They want to they throw that blame right away. And it's like Scott said, if it's a surprise, you failed as a leader. Now I've held emails up to people before, like, you know, here, look at this. Here's where I wrote this one time. Here's where I, I document everything. You know, I don't know why you're surprised because look at all this and look at your responses. I'll do better. Oh, sorry. You know, this yep. is counseling. Even though it's an email, it's counseling. And y you haven't changed. So it's time to go. You know, I don't know why you're shocked. Maybe you just don't. Some people are surprised, even though you tell them at times, you know, those are the ones you need to get rid of anyway, because they, they don't just they're not capturing things in their brain. They should be. So when you're looking at different courses of action on how to help uh, your leader or how to lead down better and stuff and whether or not you might be in the situation where you're working for the bad leader or you are the bad leader. Figure out what's behind that type of behavior. Try to build trust with the people so that you can get that constant communication up or build trust with your leaders so that you can then lead up to them and uh, provide um, some support to them as to why they may be doing what they're doing. It could be they're in a tough situation with their own boss. It could be that uh, they're risk adverse or their um, things are not going well in their own personal life, whatever the case may be. But getting to know that and building the trust will allow you to have that open communication Try to remove the emotion out of the situation and do it in a tactful way. And if you're, this is again, whether you're going up or down, and try to be a sounding board, not only for your people, but for your leader as well. You know, you can help them when they're with their indecisiveness. And lastly, try to seek allies. Allies are people who have ways to, in order to counsel or support the leader or the people who work for you who have greater influence, perhaps even than what you do, and try to get them on your side to be able to provide that type of support. 